Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. I think I had a lot of shame around the fact that I wasn't able to regulate my own nervous system at the time because I'm sitting here teaching people to do this and, you know, I wasn't practicing what I was preaching. And it was very shocking to me, I think, to become a parent and realize that I wasn't able to be in a calm body for a long time. I mean, coming to transformation coaching and being like, help me. (laughs) I can't regulate. I don't, I don't even, I didn't even know that that's what I needed at the time. Honestly, Mm. that's how Mm -hmm. disconnected I was from my Mm -hmm. own body. But yeah, it certainly was a part of my process was reconciling the fact that like, I'm a human and I get to have experiences just like everybody else. And sometimes those experiences are going to overwhelm the skills and abilities that I thought I had. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 312. Today, we're talking about becoming a mindful parenting teacher with Darcy Fairchild. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Hey, welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast. I'm glad you're here. I'm so glad to connect today. I'm super excited to introduce you to this person because I have known this person for a long time now and I think she is really, really darn cool. So I'm super excited for you to meet her. Darcy is a licensed clinical social worker. She began her specialization in perinatal mental health after experiencing the whole distress of postpartum anxiety. And, you know, she worked on her own healing through yoga and trail running, which ultimately led to mindfulness and embracing health holistically. And Darcy is going to share her story. And she lives in rural Montana with her partner and her small little son. And we're going to talk about how she came towards mindful parenting and raising kids with you know, a connection to nature and all of these wonderful things. I'm so excited to talk to her. 
There's going to be so many great takeaways. I know that you're going to totally relate to her story about you may be in a helping and healing profession and yet still be struggling in your own life. And this is this happens to a lot of us and a lot of us feel a lot of judgment for ourselves for it. And, you know, in our whole individualistic culture, we tend to be not be super ready to give ourselves the help we need. And this is a great story of that and coming out the other side stronger, more resilient and being able to help more people, which is so, so cool. And now, dear listener, on to this episode. So I'm so excited to talk to you because Tarsi, you're number one, number one. You're the number one first certified mindful parenting teacher besides me. So high fives. This is amazing. Yay. I'm so excited. So I wanted to bring you on to talk to you about about what brought you into the whole journey and what you're going to do with it. But I really want to, I'm curious about, like, I'd like to kind of walk it back because you have, you have a life of like service and doing things, right? Like you're, you're a licensed clinical social worker. um, And, you know, I don't know. I guess I, well, let's keep it to parenting first. Uh, Can we go back to like you, your own story and like, how, how were you parented? Were you, you, did you come to the mindful parenting, like reacting against or like trying to live up to? (laughs) Um, Well, I'm one of five children. I'm number four. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so we, I feel like my mom probably ran the gamut of parenting styles. And by the time she got to me at number four, um, was very loving and um, tired and exhausted <laughs> and also was balancing a very professional career. Um, and so, you know, I think she did a lot of um, bringing what she could, but sometimes uh, spoons were gone by the end of the day. And so, you know, we we – didn't have, I don't, I don't feel like I had a ton of boundaries as a kid. Um, certainly we had like rules and, um, some structure, but really like, I mean, I don't know if she would agree with this, but I certainly felt like, um, at times we were, um, kind of in charge of making our own decisions a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, we, I grew up in an era of like, you know, mom's, joining the workforce for the first time and really like probably struggling with the fact that they um, were torn between parenting and also wanting to have their own careers. And so, um, you know, we would stay home alone a lot after school and um, I had older siblings, so they were caring for us. And, um, you know, a lot of, I I guess maybe some free range parenting was going on. Yeah. Yeah. My parents like to call this benign neglect. It sounds like. (laughs) Yeah. I heard that term recently and I I really relate to it. Um, and I don't attach negative feeling to it, but certainly like there was definitely benign neglect going on. That sounds a lot like me, actually. I like, I was really like roaming around town a lot. Like my, my town was very, you know, had a lot of sidewalks. It's kind of small town. So, but like I, from a very young age, it was so funny because recently my daughters are like, it's like they wanted to get candy or one for something. And I was like, why don't you go down to this convenience store? It's like a mile from our house. Like there are sidewalks, just go there and get some. And they're like, oh my God, I couldn't go to into a store by myself. And I'm like, you're 14 and 11. Like I went into stores by myself when I was six and seven. You know? oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I was definitely like walking myself home from school from kindergarten on. Yeah. 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 Um, First like grade not just or... across the street, like probably a mile or two. Um, yeah. But yeah. And my, you know, I, I, I do think my parent, my parents separated when I was really little. So I think I was maybe like three. Um, and we lived uh, primarily with my mom and often um, a stepfather figure. And you know, so I, I like to look at my mom as a single parent because I don't think mm-hmm. that my stepfather's had a lot of influence in our life. Um, but yeah, um, she, you know, as I got older, I, I remember a lot of like yelling and, um, and I've, I started to notice that in myself pretty early on. Um, so mm-hmm. that kind of actually brought me to 
mindful parenting. Yeah. The yelling, it's like, like it was probably, I mean, I don't know if you're, if you're like me, like for me, when I discovered the yelling in myself, (laughs) that like the temper in myself, it was like, oh my God, this is what I did not want to bring into my own parenting. Cause I remembered it from being a kid and just being petrified. I don't know if that, if it was similar for you. Yeah. And I don't remember ever having like the feeling of fear or, um, it was certainly like, um, in my family, we were, we were very much like taught to kind of stifle our emotions. Uh, Mm -hmm. I remember a lot of like, okay, stop crying, stop crying. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, growing up in Montana, there is this overall cultural view of, um, uh, or, or cultural perspective that is very much like pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Like you don't ask for help. You just get things figured out. Um, and you also don't talk about what's going on in your family, not even to your family. So, Mm. um, these were all like pieces and components of my childhood that Mm. certainly I, um, recognize now as a parent that I don't want to perpetuate. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I'm curious, like, did you, you know, it sounds like your your upbringing. In some ways, it sounds like a little like what my uh, my mom was the youngest of of three sisters, but she was like a surprise oops baby that her mom had when she was forty two, and um, her oldest her oldest sister was like fourteen years older than her. So she, then there's all of a sudden this baby in the house, like after all these years. And so she was raised, like, she, she she tells me, she's like, oh, I just, like, ate dinner by myself in front of the TV all the time. And, like, she had, like, they were just so chilled out by then and just didn't care that much, I guess. Like, they were just a lot more relaxed. And it's so funny because it always seems like kind of, like, being a lot more relaxed is is generally kind of a good thing um, in, in some of those ways. Okay, so then you you – you went into service. I want to kind of like, since we're, we're on the timeline, is it okay if I tell me about why you went into social work and what you were, Mm. what drew you to that? If I'm really, truly honest, I don't think it was, um, a conscious decision, much of a conscious decision. Honestly, there were like a lot of events in my life. Um, I, I was living in North Carolina for a time being, um, in a military town and working as a, uh, assistant preschool teacher. Um, and during that time, it was just following 9-11, I was seeing a lot of families being impacted um, by the separations that um, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan were causing. And so I, I started to like kind of tune into like the fact that there were going to be some serious implications on families. Back then, I was like in my 20s, I didn't have a family at all. But um, I think that kind of planted the seed of like service. I, I always grew up saying I wanted to be a pediatrician. Um, I, you know, I think I just had this like innate caregiving thing going on from a pretty young age. And, um, so yeah, I, I, it wasn't a linear path at all. I, I did the teen, the nannying gigs for a while. I did preschool teaching for a while. I, um, was a ski bum for a while. I taught, nice. I was a ski instructor. <laughs> um, yeah, that was a fun time. And I, I also was a wildland firefighter. I, I actually started out oh, in um, wow. in forestry school here in Montana at the University of Montana, uh, wanting to be a silviculturist and work in the woods. And silviculturist, mm-hmm. this is great because my daughter has been wondering what the word is for like somebody who like goes and works in the woods. And I didn't know there was a word, a silva, like sylvan, you know, yeah, silviculturist. I'm writing this down for Maggie. <laughs> yeah, and I can be offline. We can talk more about what that actually means. But yeah, so it was um, a, a long winding path. I um, I actually ended up losing a family member to suicide, a cousin, um, when I was in undergraduate, once I had come back from, you know, preschool teaching and I was working as a ski instructor and also going to school. Um, and I think that was like a very big shifting point. I was like, okay, so like I, I thought I wanted to go into education more, but I think maybe there might be some room for me over here, um, maybe in family counseling or therapy. I had no idea, honestly, because as I said, we were raised in a family where we didn't talk about our problems. So that certainly meant nobody was doing therapy. Uh, I didn't even really know what it was, quite frankly. Um, And so I started taking more and more classes and um, 
you know, in human development and starting to kind of explore like psychology um, and things like that. And I really enjoyed it. Um, and so did you, can I ask you, can I interject here? And oh, yeah, when course. I did my first like intro to psychology class and I learned about attachment theory, I was like, oh my gosh, like, did oh, you yeah. like self-diagnose like everything you had in all of your undergraduate um, psychology classes? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I probably did start like being like, oh boy, like things weren't as good as I thought they were because <laughs> like, I really truly like have this perspective and I, I I did really until even a few years ago that like things were fine like I had a great childhood um it was pretty happy like sure there were some things that weren't great but um overall like I would have classified it as a very normal like Montana family upbringing um and it's when you start to like pick things apart you're like hmm well we might have done that differently um so yeah I I'm totally going off track here, but, um, that's what we do here. <laughs> that's good. To know. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I definitely, the, the seeds were planted and started, I started watering them and, um, you know, and then the death of my cousin certainly like sent me on a path. I applied for, um, my undergraduate degree was in health and human development. Um, and I had no idea what I was going to do with that other than maybe like, no, I, I really had no idea. Mm -hmm. um, and so I applied to graduate school um, and in a marriage and family therapy program. And I was waitlisted and devastated. And I was like, oh, my God, like, I can't be a ski instructor forever. Like, it's super fun. And like, I was actually making great money because I worked at this private um, ski area. But I was like, you know, the sense of purpose and meaning part was very much missing in my life <laughs> for many years. Um, and so I... I kept nannying and um, I worked as a personal assistant for this like super wealthy family. Um, and at that, like working for them, I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot do this anymore. Like there is something bigger that I'm supposed to be doing mm. than serving people with a lot of resources. And um, your, your purpose is calling. Yeah, it really was. And so I, um, I, you know, I applied to a social work program. I had talked to, um, the faculty of the program where I was waitlisted and, you know, they really wanted to know like why I wanted to be in the program and, you know, to see if I was a good fit more. And as we talked, they were like, you know, you sound like somebody who might be a good fit for a social work program. And I was like, okay, cool. I don't even know why, but that sounds great. Um, and then as I started to look at programs and to realize like social work was a very great option for someone like me at the time who had no, no real clear direction, but like a definite desire to help um, because it wasn't going to just like confine me to being a therapist. Like I, mm -hmm. at the time I did not want to be a therapist. I was like, um, sure. I might like work at an agency or in policy or something like that. Um, and like, so, so I, for people oh yeah, who don't know, like social, cause I did, I took me a long time to figure it out. Social workers can do therapy and, but do all kinds of other things, right? Like just like, Maybe you can give us like the 30 second lowdown into what is a social worker. <laughs> yeah, sure. Absolutely. So social workers um, are unique in that they can work in many different arenas. So, you know, one of the things that the program I chose um, had that I loved was a focus on like kind of like macro level social justice activism. Mm. Um, and so I thought maybe like going into policy work might be interesting or, you know, even politics at some point, you know, so you could go into politics, you could work in a nonprofit organization, you could run a nonprofit and it didn't just have to be in like working with children. It could be um, working with anybody on the spectrum. And so I think, you know, that's one thing about social work that was really appealing to me was that it wasn't going to pigeonhole me. Um, and so I applied to the University of Montana School of Social Work and got in and um, it was a two-year program. Um, like I said, it wasn't a clinical program, a broad program that um, encompassed a lot of areas, including social justice and um, activism and, um, and very little focus on the micro um, parts of social work, which I think are more like individual therapy. But the, is that um, so, what you do now, right? It's like <laughs> yeah, that's what I do now. Yeah, <laughs> you kind of circled back to it. Yeah. And so, um, when I graduated, you know, there were, there weren't a lot of opportunities still. And so I found myself working as a family therapist for like a nonprofit in town. And, and that's kind of where my therapist 
career began and I enjoyed it. I worked for um, a grief organization here in town that also partnered with TAPS, which is the national um, nonprofit serving military families who've experienced death or loss. Um, and so I got to do some like program management. I got to, I was planning camps and retreats around the country. Um, oh, that was really fun. exciting and fun. But um, but I was also doing therapy at, at the same time while I was working on my license. And I really liked that. Um, and so I, you know, long and winding path. I worked for the VA um, in their uh, program supporting veterans experiencing homelessness. And then um, I worked uh, as an intake coordinator at an emergency room and doing like crisis assessments. And um, all the while, I think my goal was like, I'm going to move towards individual therapy. And so when I got pregnant with my first kiddo, my only kiddo, I, um, I started a private practice and kind of like inched my way out of my like high paying VA job. At the time, it felt very high paying. And um, and I was doing, you know, four days, four tens at the VA. And on my fifth day, I was seeing clients in private practice. And that kind of happened really quickly. And I was able to leave the VA and have my private practice. And we wind up to, to present day. So now I'm curious about this, Darcy, because sometimes people come to like mindful parenting and people are like, they're, they maybe have um, like a degree in child development or they're uh, a preschool teacher or a therapist and things like that. And I'll, what I've discovered is that a lot of people come to the course and they're like, I should know all of these things. And they're so frustrated that it's so, it's so hard to like implement that in their own family. And so mm -hmm. I'm wondering if that was kind of a similar dynamic for you, because I, I know I've heard that from a number of members before. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the no guilt mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. And absolutely. Um, I think I had a lot of shame around the fact that I wasn't able to regulate my own nervous system at the time um, because I'm sitting here teaching people to do this. And mm. I, um, I, you know, I wasn't practicing what I was preaching and, um, and it was very uh, shocking to me, I think, to become a parent and realize that I wasn't able to to be in a calm body um, mm. for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think uh, that that was certainly a part of, I, I mean, coming to transformation coaching and being like, help me. <laughs> I, I, uh, 
I can't, I can't regulate. I don't, I don't even, I didn't even know that that's what I needed at the time. Honestly, mm. that's how mm-hmm. disconnected I was from my mm. own body. Um, but yeah, it certainly was a part of my, um, process was rec- reconciling the fact that like, I'm a human and I get to have experiences just like everybody else. And sometimes those experiences are going to overwhelm the skills and abilities that I thought I had. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny how we all have this, like, we, it's so universal that we all have this like individualism complex that like, we're like, but I'm the one that's special and won't need X, Y, or Z because I can just choose to be how I want to be. Right. Like, but we all, I mean, and I've gone through that too myself, but it's like, it's so fascinating that we all have this, this idea and that like, Oh, what's wrong with me? This special thing that's wrong with me because I'm having trouble regulating my, and I should be the one that should just be able to do the thing that I want to do. It's, it's amazing that we, we all feel that way. Yeah. It was so humbling to recognize like my humanness and to make peace with it. And I think, you know, that's one of the things I loved about working with you was you were very open about, you know, the fact that you, you had been in this, a similar place of struggle yourself. And I think that made it feel more accessible to me because I was like, oh, like Hunter's like a human too. Cool. (laughs) Like I tend to, I tend to, you know, part of me loves to like have this hero worship thing and think like everybody doing these amazing things doesn't have issues. And that really helped me recognize like we're all in this together and like step off your high horse a little bit, Darcy, like just because you're a therapist doesn't mean you're not a human. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. Yay. And it's, it's just like, it's just like a clear seeing, you know, it's just like Mm -hmm. acceptance. It's not, it's not like it's anything, you know, it's not like we're, yeah, we're humbling ourselves, but like, it's like, it's just like, oh yeah, like this is, this is honest truth, clear seeing. This is how human beings work. And, and I'm a human being too. Cool. Um, so what did you, what did you get from, from mindful parenting and and the work we did in in the coaching and, and what made you decide to want to do the teaching? Yeah. Well, um, goodness, what didn't I get is a better question. I, I mean, (laughs) the process has helped our family restore peace on such a huge, like, I mean, maybe find peace. I don't think we even had it. Um, you know, from the time I became a parent, things were very, um, intense. We had, you know, we had ICU involvement. We had a life flight like day seven, like it was, what? it was, on wait, wait, and- you can't just drop that and then not <laughs> tell the story, Darcy. <laughs> um, so yeah, when, when we had Cooper, I mean, oh, I'll try not to get too long-winded here, but essentially, like, I had pl- I had hoped for this, like, natural birth at the birth center, like, no medication, you know. The universe at that time was, like, laughing at me, like, oh, okay, we see what you're doing here. Um, and they gave me everything that was not that. Oh, but no. um, So, yeah, I labored for, like, 32 hours at the birth center and with my midwife and my doula, and it was, you know, intense and hard and beautiful and messy and all the things. And I ended with me being transferred to the hospital, which I had had like literal visions of that happening before. Um, Mm. And so, yep, I, and I was working at the hospital at the time. So I had this experience where I, um, after 32 hours of labor and like having been in the bathtub and like it was a hot mess in the middle of my journey, got wheeled through my own emergency department that I worked in. Oh, <laughs> and God. I saw like all of my coworkers oh, and I'm like, hello, oh, everybody. No. And so, yeah, I, uh, I ended up having an, a cesarean, um, which mm. of course was not, never even close to part of the plan. My mom had five children and I just like assumed I would easily birth a child myself or, you know. I clearly yeah. I have some work to do around this, but, um, yeah, I, I just assumed that it would be an easy process. Um, mm-hmm. and my body would do what it was supposed to do. And, you know, lots of reasons it didn't. And I ended up having a cesarean. It was actually, you know, a beautiful process as well. And, um, we, we then got to go home a few days later, everything seemed normal. And we went to, uh, the pediatrician appointment right after discharge from the hospital. And, uh, they found that Cooper had a heart murmur 
And um, at the time I was doctor's office, she was like, you know, I'm going to see if I can get you in to see the heart specialist and like came back and she's like, I got you in this afternoon. I was like, wow, that's great customer service. <laughs> you know. Oh and then, and then uh, like in retrospect, I'm like, oh, that's because things are really not yeah, in good yeah, place. Yeah, yeah. Like, when you get in to see the heart specialist, the only heart specialist in the community, like the same day, that's actually not a good sign. Oh. So we went over the same afternoon and um, did a bunch of testing and they found out he had some multiple heart, congenital heart defects. Um, oh. And so they sent us home that day and he was like, I want to see you on Friday. And we came back on a Friday and um, during that process, he, the doctor felt very uncomfortable um, with the way that Cooper's aortic arch was presenting, I guess. Um, and he actually decided that we needed to life flight to Seattle like that day. Wow. So I think Cooper must have been like seven or eight days old. So and... you're getting in a helicopter with your seven day old baby. Yeah. Was so your husband able to come? No, he wasn't. Um, he, so yeah, we actually flew on a, um, they have a, a jet that fly, a regional jet that flies. Um, so yeah, we got in our second um, ambulance ride of the week since I had already transferred to the hospital oh and one and transferred to the airport um, that afternoon after I, um, I had called my dad and was like sobbing like you if you want to meet your grandson you better get here so like he lives about two hours away from here and got there in just over an hour him and oh my, my stepmom and my mom was already there because she'd been here for the birth um, and so yeah that was pretty crazy my my dad is like holding my child who's now like hooked up to all of these wires and oh, um, wow. anyway, so no, my husband wasn't able to go um, with me on that flight. We got on the flight and um, I flew to Seattle with Cooper and the medical team who was incredible, absolutely incredible. Um, we got off, got in an ambulance and we're rushed to Seattle Children's Hospital and um, Joe was able to fly out. Um, he had a friend who like worked for the airlines and was able to get him on a flight for free. Thank you, Lenny. Um, and he came out that night and got there about 10 o'clock, I think, wow. same night. So, yeah, we spent the weekend in the ICU in Seattle. And, you know, the long story short is he didn't have to have any interventions. It was all precautionary at oh, the time. Wow. Um, he gets ongoing screenings now. But, you know, so it was a very jarring, dysregulating experience pretty much from – you know, the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's like about as dysregulating as you can get for, yeah. for, for anything. I mean, it, it, just having a baby, even if it's great, is like incredibly dysregulating, okay. but for that, that kind of experience, I mean, you must've, there must've been after effects for you when Cooper was just like in that first year, I imagine. Yeah. I think, you know, it, it was a it was an important experience that we had because I think you know it, it gave me the opportunity to understand trauma on a whole mm. a whole new level quite frankly so yeah uh, that was kind of the you know I, I recognized pretty early on that I was going to need to do some work um, and I started like I started with the physical first actually and started um, jogging as soon as I could he was born in March and I think my first run was on Mother's Day uh, I don't think it was on Mother's Day, um, and I ran slash walked. It probably yeah. felt so good just to release. I mean, I, I'm a runner myself. Like that whole like getting your getting your yayas out is so so important. That <laughs> physical <laughs> release, like it's amazing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. Yeah. So you guys had an incredible, challenging start, and you had got these. I mean. I guess now you can see like, oh, there are these lessons and there are these challenges that were, you know, in some way, you know, have been really helpful for your purpose, right? That you were kind of meant in some ways, who knows, but totally to, to have those so that you could have incredible empathy and understanding for other people's traumas, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, if you look at the progression of my career, that is certainly when I started like focusing on perinatal mental health it was because of my own experience. And, you know, I think that's common. We all get into work because of something. And um, certainly I had bound, if you look at my resume, it's like all over the place, like just trying to find my area. And I think, you know, this experience that I had certainly like 
landed in my purpose and meaning for now. Yeah. Yay. Oh, wow. I mean, that's, that's an incredible story. And that's, that's gotta have been incredibly hard. And so I got to meet you when you, when Cooper was three and a half, four, I think, right? Like right around that time. (laughs) That's like, that's like the intense time. The three and a half is like the, that's the time when everyone's like, oh my God, I need help. Right. Like it truly is. It's incredibly hard. Yeah, he was. um, And I think at the time I was really struggling with like a work-life balance um, Mm -hmm. and understanding like, how the heck I was supposed to like get work done and also like care for him, um, on the days that he didn't have care outside of the home. <laughs> and you, you really helped me work through some of those issues. Um, and through the, the transformation coaching process, which was really helpful. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids, because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where-are-my-keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Yay, yay. And now you're the first certified mindful parenting teacher, Missoula, Montana people. You've got an amazing in-person teacher of mindful parenting. You can get a group together and have Darcy teach you a class, but tell me about why you wanted to do the teacher training. Cause I, I think it's so cool that you did it. I, re- I really wanted to do the teacher training because Um, you know, my learning style is such that I have to definitely like go all in. Um, I usually learn the best by teaching or doing, um, Mm -hmm. something. And so, you know, after the transformation coaching process, so many things had already improved within our family. And I, I was just noticing like more peace within myself. I was, I, you know, so from, from a selfish perspective, from a, um, you know, micro perspective, it was a little bit like of a selfish journey to become a teacher. But then as I sat with it more, I recognized like though Missoula is like a pretty progressive city and we have a lot of amazing resources. Um, one thing that a lot of the mindful parenting programs that I was seeing was lacking was the part about um, effective communication mm-hmm. and problem solving. And, you know, not just, it wasn't just like, parents being mindful. It was like all of these other things. And I, I thought that that would be a huge addition to, um, to our community. And, um, and also I just, uh, (laughs) I had to put myself out of my own comfort zone, quite frankly, because, um, again, I, I felt that if I, I did that, I would, um, I would probably be a better human. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm raising good humans, even when they're <laughs> adults. It's so exciting. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah. 
<laughs> um, yeah, I, I agree. Like I've seen, like, there's like a lot of like mindfulness for parents. They call it maybe, maybe people call it mindful parenting, but it's like mindfulness for parents, you know, mm -hmm. which is great. That's wonderful. But it's not like the, those communication aspects are so huge. Cause like we can calm down and then we can say something really unskillful and still struggle enormously. Um, for you, what were the communication pieces? Cause you did, you, um, you know, we talk about like reflective listening and, and I messages and, and, and how to solve problems. And, and I remember for you, it was like kind of surprising that some of those communication pieces were challenging because, because you were in that therapist position, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it, again, it was, uh, <laughs> initially I, I felt shame. I felt like, oh my goodness, like I should I should be doing better in the world if this is what I'm teaching other people to do. Um, it, that's shifted enormously throughout this process. But um, for me, I I noticed like my default was using like threats um, <laughs> and yelling. Uh, anytime I was dysregulated, boy, you were going to hear threats come from um, my mouth. And that was cringeworthy for me. I, I, I absolutely like did not want to destroy the relationship I have with my mm -hmm. child. Um, we've chosen to only have one child. And I was like, well, I should probably like, you know, not be a terrible parent. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I could, I totally understand you. Like the threats are like kind of the default. That's like the native language. I think of it now as like that, this is like the native language from not, not only my own family, but just culturally, like that's just kind of what we do culturally. And, um, and yeah, now sometimes I'm like, I really want to threaten right now. <laughs> and it's like, I say something like that. It's so funny. Um, but yeah, because that native yeah. language comes out, right? Like it's, it's, we, we learn a new language, but uh, the native language is always pretty, pretty strong. Um, yeah. That's why it takes su support to really yeah I love how you frame that um, as the native language um, you know and then you know thinking about as part of the the mindful parenting curriculum like you bring in the brain science about why we don't have access to our prefrontal cortex when we are um, experiencing a stress response um, and then it, it makes it makes sense and this is the part that helped me personally unwind from the shame right and to notice like this isn't I, I'm not a broken human being or a bad person. Like I'm having a stress response. Mm -hmm. And again, I knew all about uh, the science behind stress responses, but I hadn't applied it to my own life. Um, and mm -hmm. so, you know, that part was super helpful. And it's one of my favorite parts to teach um, in when I'm teaching the mindful parenting curriculum, but also, you know, I teach it in my practice. Um mm -hmm. I'm sure my clients get very sick of hearing about it because we're always coming back to the brain science. Um, and so that, you know, like when, when you were talking about that initially, when I was going through um, the program, I, I knew that this was a good program and a good fit for me personally because, um, because it just was based in science. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to address that. Otherwise it's like, ends up being like, well, just respond this way. And then you're like, but I can't cause I'm all, you know, reactive. And so we have to deal with our, hum our humanity, you know, it's like, there's yeah. ways to, ways to work with this. Um, yeah. And, and it's so, so essential. I'm so excited. So Darcy, you've, you've taught your first class and, and I know it, it went well, but can you tell the listener how it went well? <laughs> yeah, the first class was a really great experience, though. I, um, you know, certainly I experienced what I'm sure a lot of folks experience, which is, you know, nervousness and, you know, a little fear that the technology wasn't going to work and all of these things. Um, but I had such a gracious group of folks participating. Um, and, you know, it, it was all moms on the first go around. Um, I am excited to do a in-person class. I think that will be a totally new and different experience. Um, but I certainly think there is, uh, there are folks wanting more um, in my community. So that's exciting. Yay. Yay. Yeah. It's so nice to like, I feel like 
whenever I share, I feel like I'm, I'm just like sharing these, like these tools that have just, you know, like these are tools that work like here, take this beautiful thing that these lovely tools that help me so enormously and, and may they help you too. You know, like I just, it's, it feels really good to, to share them all the time. Um, for me anyway. Yeah, it does for me as well. And, um, I think, you know, it's been cool because a lot of the folks that took the class, I continue to have communication with. And so, you know, they'll, they'll tell me like, oh my gosh, that thing that we talked about in mindful parenting, they, they, they dubbed it, um, the mindful mama class. Um, (laughs) I did not dub it that, but they did. And I was like, you're gonna have to talk to Hunter about that. Um, but yeah, so they'll be like, yeah, in mindful mamas, we talked about this and I can't believe it like keeps coming up. And I'm so glad I have this tool with me now. And I'm like, oh, I'm so glad you have it too. So it is nice to, um, to, to do the, the class because you get to have ongoing, um, connection with this community. It just like, it builds community. And that's another, you know, important piece of my life is always being in community, you know, and, and now, and Cooper's five now, mm-hmm. you're, you're past three and a half, the three and a half crazy. And, and how's it going? How's it going at home then? It's going well. Um, we regularly use, um, win-win problem solving in our house. I've, I've mentioned that in the past and, uh, you know, so Saturday morning we'll roll around and Cooper will say, I'll say, what does everybody want? want to do today and Cooper's like let's do win-win problem solving like it's part of our family language and culture now which is really really exciting and fun um and certainly like like all things I you know I wax and wane on my mindfulness practice it's not a hundred percent it's not perfect um but in my room set up and I um you know I feel like I bring mindfulness more to my life in a holistic way now, you know, like at the beginning it was like, Oh, I have to go like be on the mat and I have to practice. Um, and mm-hmm. I do that still, but I also like bringing it to all these other areas of my world. So it has, it has really, um, become natural almost. Um, mm. and I think, you know, sometimes you get to the point where you're thinking, Oh gosh, I'm not even like doing my mindfulness practice anymore. And it's like, Oh, well actually like, I think it's become such a innate part of who I am now that, um, that I'm always practicing. Mm. So that's kind of a cool and important shift. Well, that's exciting. Um, well, Darcy, it's been so lovely to talk to you. I've, I've totally enjoyed you being on this journey and watching you do this whole thing and being able it's been an honor to walk with you through this whole journey. And I just want to thank you so much for sharing the story of it here. I think it's so cool. And, and I, I hope that, um, I hope that, dear listener, you found some pieces in Darcy's story that are, you can relate with, because I certainly can. I've found pieces that I can relate with enormously, for sure. Um, and Darcy, if we people want to find you in Missoula, around Missoula, Montana, where can they find you? Okay, well, back to my comment of me being a bit of a like um, <laughs> a technology averse. I do have a website. You know, it was really hard to remember the name of my website, but it's Darcy Fairchild LCSW.com and it's D A R C E Y Fairchild LCSW.com. Yeah, actually, on the Mindful Mama mentor site under the Mindful Parenting link, we're going to have a link to our certified teachers and you can find Darcy there. Great. You are in Missoula, Montana. (laughs) Or you can Google me and you'll find me eventually. Google her. Google her. There you go. You'll find her and an amazing family therapist and she can teach her mindful parenting course too. Thank you, Hunter. It's been fun. Yay. Thank you so much, Darcy. It has been fun. I love Darcy. She's such a great soul who is living, walking the talk, man. She's walking the talk. I really love her. So if you are near Missoula, Montana, you should put together your friends and get an in-person mindful parenting course with Darcy. She's an amazing teacher and an amazing peaceful soul. Thank you. Thank you for listening here all the to the end. And I really appreciate your, your ears and your connection. I hope this has been helpful. Maybe you could relate to Darcy's story this 
week and I cannot wait to be back in your inbox next week and I'll be here on Friday doing a Friday podcast again so excited about these Friday I'm going to be talking about how busy parents can make time to meditate so don't miss that short episode and then I will be back soon thank you thank you so much for listening my friend take care namaste say definitely do it it's really helpful it will change your relationship with your kids for the better it will help you communicate better and just i'd say communicate better as a person as a wife as a spouse it's been really a positive influence in our lives so definitely do it i'd say definitely do it it's so worth it the money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I have this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it? who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You'll be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the wait list, so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. mindfulparentingcourse.com Everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it.